0: This is Prateek, founder and CEO at Insidia. I have a special guest with me who's uh, also like, you know, we connected previously. And uh, I think I can call him as a friend because uh, I understood how he uh, went from his journey being entrepreneur in different uh, fields. I can relate to his story. I thought it would be a great uh, uh, insight that he can bring to the table. Uh, Daniel, welcome to the show, man.
1: Thanks for having me, Prateek.
0: More about Daniel. Daniel is founder and CEO at Minsters. Uh, And Minsters is like something incredible that they're doing for the creators. It's a subscription-based NFT platform that empowers creators to take control of their content and earnings. So Daniel, maybe uh, before we deep dive into Minsters, uh, I would love to know a bit more about your journey. Take us to your backstory, man.
1: Sure. So... um... Yeah, I've always been quite entrepreneurial. I uh, had a couple of startup endeavors at university, um, which led me to kind of my first real job out of, out of university, which was working at for Octopus Ventures in London, uh, which was my first real exposure to like the real startup world. Uh, I loved it. I would have stayed in venture capital, I think, my whole life if they hadn't yeah. told me, you know, you need to go and get operational experience which was, I guess, the, the next, the first real chapter in progressions of uh, various jobs I had in go-to-market facing roles uh, in a couple different industries, a couple different businesses. Um, that led me to uh, my, my most recent role prior to uh, Minstars, where I was leading sales in the Middle East for Vista Equity Backed Unicorn, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I felt that... You know, consumer facing was always really what interested me most. Um, but you get a huge amount of learnings out of working in, if, if, for B2B companies in go market mm-hmm. and sales facing roles. Um, I, I can tell you more about obviously the Midstar's journey specifically, but, um, you know, I felt that that was a huge opportunity there. Uh, to bring a product to market and to solve very real pain for very real people, uh, mm-hmm. which is something that I often feel you're kind of lacking in B2B. You know, you're selling whatever it might be, accounting software and, uh, to, to to people in finance roles, and you're asking them, you know, how much would a software like this really change your life? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the answer is always, yeah, it would save me 30 minutes daily or something like that. But, you know, some of these consumer-facing um softwares and businesses that you can create can really change you know a huge amount of people's lives in the day-to-day and that's um, always something that has uh, really uh, drawn me and attracted me to consumer facing world and so um, you know I'm bringing a lot of the practice the methodology from you know six or seven years in B2B uh, to the space and um, yeah that's how I've ended up at, at Minstars and, and in a kind of CEO, go-to-market go facing role.
0: So what inspired you to create this uh, product, right, Minstars? And how did you come up with this idea, first of all?
1: Yeah, good question. So um, I have a few personal, very close Friends and and contacts who are OnlyFans creators. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, like most people, I had heard of OnlyFans, I'd seen its kind of meteoric rise and felt that it must be a good thing for creators, right? It allowed creators, sex workers, adult performers to make money independently of managers, agents, middlemen in an industry that has traditionally been very exploited um, by these middlemen. Uh, <clears throat> but it was through this exposure to these friends of mine who are creators uh, who and, and one specific conversation with this friend who came to me and we were chatting about it. And she was telling me you know, she, uh, that she'd been the victim of quite a serious um, batch of image piracy. And she said, you know, it's just part and parcel of it. You know, like she had 600 photos on her OnlyFans, and 500 of them odd were ripped and put on different platforms. And I was like, wow, that must be, you know, there must be uproar about this. OnlyFans must be really helping you. And she kind of laughed and was like, no, no, this is happens to every creator, it happens daily, and it's not just your image piracy. It's, you know, it's a nightmare trying to get anything, any complaints, any kind of harassment dealt with. Um, you know i have had my accounts randomly frozen three or four times not just um directly on only fans but also using the, the traditional fiat payment processes mm-hmm. uh, because of the rules of mastercard paypal i'm more, i'm regularly having my cash apps my Venmos, everything shut down it's very difficult for me to send and receive money um you know, I could only withdraw my money once a month on these platforms. I'm having to pay very high fees. They do very little to protect me. They do nothing to protect me from chargebacks or the financial discrimination that I mentioned. And I was thinking, this is crazy that there's... That, and, and she was like, trust me. And I was like, can't just be, it can't, can't be all, it can't be every creator. You know, this must be an isolated, a few isolated incidents. And she started showing me Twitter threats that had tens of thousands of comments, and retweets, and the simple truth of the matter is that, that that OnlyFans doesn't do anything to protect their creators. They make a billion dollars in revenue a year without really doing anything to advocate for the creators that they've built uh, the, the back of. Right. So there's the pain. That's the real pain that I was talking about in my intro. Right. That's the pain that, you know, you look for a 1% of pain like that in kind of b2b to try and you know to exploit and leverage and try to sell um software to people and i was thinking if we can solve some of this problem because these people are doing nothing illegal these are single moms trying to you know make rent payments as a primary or secondary form of income these are students who are just trying to you know pay their way through college and mm-hmm. They are being systematically de-platformed by predominantly the financial institutions. Then also all the platforms that are built on top of these financial institutions that just don't want the trouble of of, of fighting it. So they're like, you know what? <clears throat> They'll have random sweeps once every few weeks to you know to and half these accounts are frozen and shut down. And so I felt very strongly that not only was there um, not only was this. Uh, uh, not only is there a huge opportunity here from a business perspective, but also it's just wrong. Fundamentally, it is wrong. These are people who shouldn't be um, so discriminated against. They shouldn't be marginalized to the corners of the internet, but for whatever reason, it's just not a cool thing to advocate for, right? People it's, mm-hmm. people don't seem to think that it's a worthy cause to advocate for. And there has never been best in class tech solutions for these for this group of people. Even though the adult industry has always been the kind of cradle of innovation, you can find 20 pieces of of technology that we use day to day now that has come directly as a consequence of the adult industry because they're always having to innovate to stay ahead of the discrimination that they face. But the platforms that they use predominantly look like they've been built in the 1990s. Uh, They're not been built by teams and people who understand their issues. Um, And this is why, you know, my co-founder was the other real catalyst to make me think, yeah, we could actually do this. We could start a a business in this space. She um, is currently doing a PhD at Harvard in women's rights and labor rights Mm -hmm. and has spent her whole academic and professional career in law, um, you know, advocating for these groups and is very, very, knowledgeable and and um, credible in this industry and i felt that with her uh, expertise in the space and the sector and my expertise within the technology sector that we were very well positioned to kind of try to solve this pain and to also build a best of breed team and best of breed software to deliver to this group who never have you know that level of uh, of solutions delivered it's always this is what you get and you'd be happy that you've even got that you know
0: so how, how Minsters, uh, uh, so definitely understand uh, the pain point that you're trying to solve. So maybe if you want to share something about Minsters and how Minsters is different from other platforms and how actually you're solving this problem.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, well, I think first and foremost... We set out to solve those issues that revolve around the, the payment process that, that I talked about and, and uh, the, a lot of the financial discrimination on these platforms. And immediately, you, th- you know, you look at that and you think, well, introducing crypto rails can solve those problems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, bypassing the traditional payment processes, Mastercard's rules, um, you immediately bypass the issues around chargebacks, around like frozen accounts and, and not having direct access to your account. So like non-custodial wallets. Um, and you also protect what you also mean that you can charge lower fees. So creators can take more of their earnings. Um, we actually take zero fees from creators. We take a 5% platform fee from the, from the buyer side or the fan side. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, immediately just introducing those payment rails that helps solve a lot of those problems. The other unique, real, I guess, unique thing with it, regards to the model that we use is um, we combine subscriptions with a marketplace for resales. So we actually try to not use the word NFT really at all anymore um, for a lot of reasons, I think, you uh, justifiably a lot of people are very skeptical about crypto um especially in the space i would say just as marginalized as this you know this group of um you know adult creators are they're equally skeptical, skeptical mm-hmm. again justifiably of teams who are businesses that are popped up trying to just make money off of their labor but also off of new technology and, and, and fads you know that don't end up actually helping them so The way that we describe it is every time a creator posts a piece of content, each one of their subscribers receives a unique copy of that piece of content, which is effectively an NFT. So Mm -hmm. if you have 50 subscribers and you post a, let's say you're a uh, fitness creator, you post a four-minute handstand tutorial out to your fans, your fitness enthusiasts, Mm -hmm. fan A uh, will receive one of 50, and they will each receive one of 50, Fan A might view that video 10 times over the course of three weeks, you know, learn that skill um, and then log back onto the platform two weeks later and see a whole new a couple of new videos, and then look back at that video that he hasn't watched in a few weeks and decide, yeah, I don't need that anymore. I'm going to put my copy of that video up for resale on the marketplace, which sits on the platform, with the original creator earning whatever royalty fee they set of any resale. And then through that mechanism as well, you remove the burden that creators, all content creators, not just adult creators face Mm -hmm. of having to be their own marketing team and do all of their own, um, you know, PR and promotional work on their free platforms like Twitter, Reddit, which predominantly they spend about 30 hours a week doing. When you Mm -hmm. have a marketplace where the fans are going out, promoting, reselling the content that they receive through their subscriptions to other fitness enthusiasts who maybe weren't subscribed to that guy, but think I would love to you know, learn how to do a handstand. I see it on the marketplace for five, $10, or I'm really interested in that creator, but I don't want to spend $20 on their subscription fee. I see this individual post for $5. I'm going to try before I subscribe. And then they view that video, they unlock it by purchasing it, and they decide, I really like that creator, I'm gonna go back and subscribe to them. So just by adding a marketplace for resales, you um, increase, you supplement the subscription revenues that creators are earning with these continual resale royalties. You allow Mm -hmm. their subscribers to recoup some of what they're spending every month on their subscriptions, so they're more likely to stay subscribed for longer. And pay higher subscription fees, and you have this discoverability element where this creator, these creators, are attracting new subscribers through no additional effort of their own.
0: Makes sense. I uh, love it. Uh, I think uh, it requires a change. Uh, I think we. I think companies have stopped innovating once they reach certain level of uh, uh, users or revenues. And they hesitate to innovate and take action to protect their users. And that's when I think uh, it's a real opportunity for aspiring entrepreneurs like you who actually found the problem in the current marketplace and how you're upgrading it. So love the idea. What is something that you think uh, looks like the future of uh, content creation, NFT uh, for uh, content
1: creators? Yeah. So I would say a couple of things on that. You know, the first thing is it is becoming much more um, the concept of monetizing your content and introducing paywalls for content is becoming much more widespread. Look at what Instagram are doing, even Twitter um, all experimenting with kind of paid subscription, you know, whatever they might call it, another mm-hmm. tier for paid followers. Um, and so <clears throat> that, Concept is becoming now more mainstream for non-adult creators and all creators, which is a good thing. I think creators are traditionally um, under uh, compensated for the work that they do. I mean, look at like Spotify's model, look at YouTube's model. Traditionally, it's only the very, very, very top creators who are um compensated significantly and even still relative to you know the, the eyes that they're bringing to these platforms they're being undercompensated in general so i think that will change i think there are some stats that have been um i think i'm trying to remember the report that i read where it was from um <clears throat> uh staying basically looking at the money that creators have earned through nfts versus traditional platforms and already you know it's significantly higher through nfts um what I would say is I think the, like I say, I think the concept, the word of NFTs will kind of become outdated and that it will just be another, a bit like the dot-com boom. You know, there were a lot of yeah. internet companies, right? Everyone was an internet company or they were calling themselves internet companies. Nobody calls themselves internet companies anymore. Everyone just is an internet company. The same Absolutely. thing will be true, I think, of NFTs and of crypto. Um, there will be more um knitting together seamless kind of knitting together of the technologies which is exactly what we're trying to do now and uh the technologies- so do you think
0: so do you so, think like uh um uh, when like maybe a year or two years ago we were talking about crypto everyone was talking about crypto mm. bitcoin mm-hmm. right and now we're talking about ai nft came but it's still not there uh uh, maybe so popular amongst everyone, right? So yeah. do you think next will be NFT, uh, a buzzword?
1: Yeah, I mean, hopefully we've kind of gone beyond that too with NFTs. I think if you look at, again, just the, um, the evolution of NFTs, you had like NFT collectibles and, and sort of basically like, what well, NFTs as art, NFTs as collectibles. And if you look at the creator space, uh, the NFT platforms that were popping up aimed at creators were like collect this playing card of this creator. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think that there's so limited, so many, the, the, the use cases that's so limited, um, you know, you can't scale that model really, which is why we introduced the subscription model, which is familiar, scalable, and actually has utility. So, um, yeah, I think that there'll be more and more of these platforms introducing it in, in, ways that actually bring utility with it
0: mm-hmm. versus
1: just the collectible um, kind of nature where, that, that we saw NFTs revolving around originally.
0: Excellent. So uh, maybe switching gears here, talking a bit more about your entrepreneurial journey. And sure. uh, I think you have successfully launched a great product out there. I'm sure you might see uh, hyper growth in coming months. What is something uh what some tips that you would like to give your fellow entrepreneurs who are still like, you know, beginning of their journey, how they can build yeah. a successful product?
1: Okay. Um I think I'll do a mix of philosophical advice with yeah, go very for it. kind of uh functional advice. I would say philosophically, a couple of things. Uh don't have your head turned too much by what you think you should be doing or what you read about on Twitter or social media. There is this, first of all, you know, VC world and startup world is a very small community. It's almost cult-like and for outsiders, it feels, it's already difficult enough starting a business and dealing with things like imposter syndrome uh, and then trying to break into this, very small, tight-knit Silicon Valley community is not something that I would say people should spend huge amounts of time and energy focusing on, that whole grind culture. You know, if you're not up at 4 a.m., you're wasting time and all that. It's bullshit, to be honest. You know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And that's what you should be focusing on, you know, being sustainable in the way that you work, having a healthy work-life balance. Creating a startup is is is, one, is the hardest thing that most people will ever do. And there's a reason why most people fail at it. And it's because they cannot sustain the push that they start with more than anything. I really strongly believe that. Um, <clears throat> I would also say that your network is bigger than you think it is. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. Uh, don't spend your time preoccupying yourself, trying to think, how can I get, you know, accel or insight or one of the top vcs on board because that's not the aim of the game the aim of the game is to start a successful business bring a product to market and hopefully walk away with as as much equity as you can at the end of the day right so your goal shouldn't be to be you know get on the forbes 30 under 30 and get some big vc on your cap table great if you can do that and actually add value but explore in your network first be um be shameless about who you ask for help because you you know, we we I took over 350 calls with my co-founder for our pre-seed round, and again, you, your expectations are so warped by what you read. I read an article about the Figma, uh, the Figma story recently, and it's an unbelievable success story. And they're talking about the founder's journey, and uh, he had this big realization point after they were rejected by Peter Thiel at some point. And I was like wow that's supposed to be an inspirational story that they went to like 3 VCs and one of them rejected them i wonder how inspirational people would find you know 350 calls with you know majority rejections in there because that's just what you have to do but every call every call will will lead somewhere even if it's not right quite right the space for that person they might know somebody and so mm-hmm. you just have to take these calls you have to be shameless and you have to have faith that There are people in your network who will be able to help connect on the funding side, on the team side. And so explore it, use LinkedIn, you know, be very proactive there. And don't just think, well, I don't come from that background. I won't have the the right contacts because you will somewhere. One last piece of advice. So so one last piece of advice I would give more on the functional side is convenience beats quality every time when you're building especially for consumer-facing convenience beats quality
0: convenience maybe if you want to just elaborate a bit uh, on that point
1: yeah so i mean it's all very well saying for example using crypto payment rails is so much better for, for the creators you get to keep you know all of your you get access to your wallet at any time you can withdraw at any time um all of these benefits, you're protected from chargebacks, everything else. But if the process of KYCing uh, on fiat to crypto on rampers is very burdensome, if they go through multiple friction points and then there's like a 50% rejection rate, it doesn't matter the benefits of it. You will see huge drop-offs at that point because it's just hard work. And yeah. so this is something that we've been faced by, um, We're very ideological in in some senses in our approach, but you also need to be very practical um, with those kind of, that's a great example, I think.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Uh, There's one more uh, piece to this puzzle of podcast today. So we are switching our gaze towards rapid fire round, where I'll ask you five questions. Again, that is more on your personal side uh, and your entrepreneurial side. So uh, here's the first one name one other company and ceo inspires you and why
1: this supposed to be rapid fire <laughs>
0: yeah again you can take a, take time to explain if you want to
1: um
0: any name one, that comes to your head first
1: give me one second can i can i take one second
0: yeah yes you can can you
1: edit can you edit this so that i'm not taking as long I would say, I would say, okay, a a, a close friend of mine uh, Mm -hmm. from university uh, called Alistair Cummings, he founded a business called Transparency X.
0: Okay. Um,
1: They, the reason why he is a good source of kind of inspiration and motivation for me is that He's been doing this for 10 years, almost, and um, never had any of the big sexy VCs backing them or PR deals or anything like that. Super, super knowledgeable, intelligent guy that believes in what he's building. And I think it's taken them nine years to really find, I think they pivoted a few times um, and they found their kind of product market fit now and they're starting to get real traction um and so you think that's just an inspirational story that uh, people it seems kind of mundane is, in some it, it,
0: yeah you're right that at the end of the day it doesn't have to be any famous ceo there are people mm-hmm. around you in your network right that can inspire you right. so right. we can look around yeah, us and
1: been, yeah. i've never been one to really idolize people that i don't know i think
0: makes sense it's,
1: yeah i think it's for sure, fine to look at what someone's done and be like, that's great, amazing. But I don't think I would ever be inspired by people that I don't know and I haven't seen struggle and I don't see the way that they work.
0: What's one of the best business advice you've ever received?
1: Um, Just do it. Just stop thinking about it and do it. And I would say only build something if you can't stop thinking about it. And if you can't stop thinking about it, then build it. Yeah. Um, and this isn't business advice. It's, it's life advice as well. Uh, just just do it. Don't take the safe route. Branch out and do it. And you're never going to be sorry that you did something. You'll be sorry if you didn't do something ultimately.
0: This is so much uh, that I believe in. Uh, taking action is something that makes you the person you are today. So definitely agree on that. What's one skill that has helped you become successful?
1: Um, I would say uh, being sociable. You know, uh, having being able to have conversations like this. I think nobody has all the all the skills in their toolbox is that that's the expression you know people Mm -hmm. if you're a technical founder great you you can build but you might struggle with um going out and meeting people and articulating what you're trying to do effectively which is something that i feel very grateful that i'm able to do and that's the training that i've had and so that's the That's the area that I lean into and know what your strengths are, know where your weaknesses are and hire for your weaknesses. Try to make yourself obsolete, right? Try to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you in areas where you feel you're lacking Yeah, and be shameless about saying, how does that work? I don't know what that means or, you know, leaning on them in the areas that you don't feel that you're strong.
0: Excellent. So building a product or managing a team or, Sales, networking, marketing, even being on the podcast takes a lot of Mm. effort, stress, preparations. Yeah. I'm sure you must have this roller coaster ride going on there for a while. How do you like motivate yourself? What keeps you going?
1: Yeah. I mean, you're speaking to me on the Tuesday after the second biggest banking collapse in US history, followed directly by the third biggest banking collapse. So this is, and, and by the way, we've been in. I convinced, well, we started this business just over a year ago, myself and my co founder. She'd never mm-hmm. worked in tech before. She'd, she'd worked in law and she'd worked, at, you know, she's been at the top academic institutions in the world. I kind of convinced her, come, let's build this product. You've got amazing expertise in the space. And since then, in tech, Think about what the last year has come with it, like the Terra collapse, FTX. Um, now everything's going on. And those are just the macro things that happen. You, within that, you have daily crises. you know. And I think that's a huge part about what being a startup founder is about, just problem solving day mm-hmm. in, day out. And that's where the mentality that it's a marathon, not a sprint, comes into it, where you've got to believe that the one who wins is ultimately the one who just keeps going.
0: And mm-hmm. again,
1: I think you can only do that if you really believe in what you're building and who you're building for, um, and you really want to. You're genuinely passionate about solving that problem, and not just about you know making making some quick money. Because it's very very rare that the money comes quickly at, at least. So, um, what keeps me going is that that belief, and actually the, trying to really being passionate about the problem that we're solving, um, and then just all the little things around your life. Be it, you know your friends, your family, your pets, your um, hobbies. Playing a lot of sports for me is something that really helps me de-stress, and that's something that we're very passionate about with the team as well, right? Nobody is expected to work, you know, ungodly hours. Everyone works differently, and we try mm-hmm. to accommodate everyone's different working styles. I am not particularly procedural. My co-founder, Arsiem, very, very procedural. They love their like tool the task tracking tools and i'm like you can put that up but i'm probably not going to use it and we're all pretty good at understanding how each other works
0: love it now this final one what movie book or a tv show that changed your life
1: so many i watched everything i probably think i watch a movie every night or you know i'm very um I'm very passionate about film and You know what art.
0: people portray in, like, you know, social media that all of the successful people they don't like watch TV shows, they don't watch movie. But I disagree. Even like, you know, yeah. I I need a break, right? I need to disconnect and just like to relax my mind. Like, yeah. uh, so I understand what you're saying. And I would love well, to know is- which is your favorite one that like actually changed your life.
1: Well, It's so difficult. You, as as somebody who watches a lot and probably reads a lot, you'll, I'm sure, be able to emphasize it's difficult. So I
0: I loved one of the really good story about entrepreneur vCrest, which is on Apple TV. It was really nice to understand, like you know, some of the hyper growth companies that we saw in the past billion dollar companies. Um, Some of the some of the decisions that you make along the journey sometimes impacts you. So, yeah, definitely made me realize how I want to, like, you know, build my roadmap and, like, you know, be, like, you know, too grounded when we are growing. Yeah. Uh, so.
1: Uh... Yeah. So, okay, I would say on that, by the way, I, I watched We Crash, so I started watching We Crash, but at that time, we were in the middle of our fundraise, and it would drive me crazy, right? Because it's that it's that same thing again, like how you see these, or we, we would speak to VCs and they'd be like, love it you know you're doing everything right we just you know we've been really burned in this space before and then they tell you about the investment that they made in the space it was like four million they were this company was raising their pre-seed a four million around at like a 20 million valuation purely off a white paper and you're like well no wonder you got burned look at us we're in front of you way further down the line we don't have this you know we don't have an experienced founder or, or we don't tick that specific box and so mm-hmm. it's frustrating for me to watch we crash and see these kind of you know sometimes degrees. it shows the
0: unreal world that we don't see it often right. uh, and it also but, helps
1: humanize these people i think because yeah. you again with imposter syndrome you can sit there and be like god these people must be so much better than me or smarter than me and then you realize that it's all just a lot of it is often kind of smoke and mirrors. So so that helps. I would say I you've kind of uh, given me some inspiration with, I think, another Apple TV series. I like some of those dystopian style um, concept series. I think uh, it was Severance that I watched on Apple TV recently. Um, mm-hmm. Amazingly. Acted and uh, yeah, just a really great dystopian kind of concept film that makes you think about yeah, living life inside the box, right? And uh, I would encourage everyone to watch Severance, great, great series. Definitely changed change my life, I'd have to come back to you on that because it's a big question or change my perception of life. Um, absolutely, I'd to come back to you on that.
0: So, uh, we are uh, at the end of the session and I want to take moment to thank you uh, uh, thank daniel for being on the show and sharing his journey um daniel you want to have a final word uh with the audience about like you know how they can use minster and how they can reach you
1: yeah absolutely like i say i love taking calls um feel like it's a huge part of what my day-to-day involves so whatever it might be um You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or Daniel at minstars.co.uk. We're about 10 weeks into our beta launch of the platform. Uh, So we're allowing fans now onto the platform from uh, we've we've invited everyone from our wait list. So we're now allowing non-waitlist fans onto the platform. Creators we're still letting in 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 batches. So mm-hmm. I would encourage everyone to um, yeah, go to mintstars.com and take a look at the platform if you're a fan. If you're a creator, sign up, reach out. We'd love to give you a run-through and, and show you a bit more about what it's about.
0: Excellent, Daniel. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, we hope everyone uh, enjoyed uh, the insights uh, from Daniel and uh, I hope that you are able to create successful product for yourself if you're an aspiring entrepreneur out there. Uh, We wish uh, Daniel uh, all the best for the future, Daniel, for the success that you will have with Ministers and beyond. Um, Until next time, this is Prateek signing off. Bye-bye.